Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for being such amazing host. This rabbi here, Rabbi is an amazing concierge, just so you know. And I am deeply appreciative of the fact that he hasn't made one eulogy about me yet. You know, when you get introduced, it's not it's like sitting at your own funeral. So it's a pleasure. I appreciate that you just said, Yankees in the house, the way I asked you to. Thank you. Hashem should give you both the bracha to continue to lead the community for many, many, many years to come. Okay, let's get to it. So, um, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, by the way, the menu was like for 30 somethings, so I got like some, <laughs> some 60 year old stuff. <laughs> I was like, come on, cut me some slack. Okay, I, I really think this is a wonderful idea, and I hope you take full advantage by challenging me, asking questions, and, and really, you know, do what you've been doing all Shabbos. Um, I, I wanted to really talk to you tonight about, because it's, it's this group, and, and, and um, many or most of you are starting to get into the, the tween teen thing, um, so I, I, I really would like to talk to you about one thing in particular, but it's really a, it's really a way of thinking. And that is, um, I was talking earlier today about, you know, about setting goals for your families. I would encourage you to think about setting a goal for yourself, for yourselves as parents, that your kids should be able to discuss anything with you. And the reason that it's so important is because Think about it. Can you hear me in the back, folks? If you cannot, just wave, okay? Please, please do, okay? Um, especially if they start with another cappuccino for me later on. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> if the kids can't talk to you about anything, you're really not parenting them in the areas that they need it most. Okay? And... I spoke about earlier in Shabbos about having that there's a cost to any goals that you set, right? You spoke about today. You want to keep your kids home? You want to have, your, have a, a, a friendly, happy home that your kids are going to want to hang out in? It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a, a tumult in the house, you know? So there's a price to pay for this. If you want to set yourself up, you know, we, we, my wife and I had the great cost to walk five kids to the chuppah. Um, and I think it's honestly, it's one of the nicest things that a kid can tell, in my opinion, it's one of the nicest things that a child can tell you on the way out of the house is that, you know, we were able to talk to you about anything. And it, it, the, that's really, honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a small percentage of kids that do it. And, and we'll talk about why that is, what the barriers are, what the advantages in doing this are, besides for the, the, what I said, Meaning that, that you position yourself as being able to, to, get to, to help your children when they need it most. They need it most when they're getting into trouble. And typically the average kid, like the last thing in the world they want to do is talk to their parents about something that's going to mess them up. But they really, I'm telling you, I've spoken to thousands and thousands and thousands of kids over the years. I found that the vast overwhelming majority would they would absolutely love to talk to you guys about stuff. But there are barriers. Um, the backdrop also for this, it's really for every facet of their lives. Um, but something that was in the news 
a, a, a few weeks ago that really struck me. There was a, you know, a terrible um, incident, a scandal, or whatever it was. One of the one of the yeshivas in in one of the schools in the New York area. Um, one of the assistant principals in the SAR, which and I, I thank, I complimented them online, in all my social media twice actually. They, I think they did a magnificent job of dealing with it. Um, what happened was that one of the assistant principals was was. Uh, and it's important that you understand the details to talk about this piece about uh, being comf- having your kids comfortable talking to you. So what happened was one of the assistant principals was posing as a young lady and was interacting with some of the boys, um, sending, sending some pictures over. You know, initially it was a little less risque, then it, it, it ratcheted up the, the you know, intensity of the types of pictures they were sending. And ultimately, like say, I'll send you one, you send me back. So um, ultimately, the, this guy got caught because a 14-year-old child spoke to his parents. And there they started an investigation. Thank God the guy's arrested. And you know, hopefully he won't be in a position to harm anyone again. Uh, as the, uh, because I do what I do, um, my first reaction, no, I'm sorry, not first, but third or fourth reaction after you know, the, all the other ones, I said, I would love to speak to those parents because I'd love to know how they set up that relationship where their child could tell, have such an incredibly uncomfortable conversation. I mean, think about what it starts like. The kid sits down with their parents and said, oh, I just, you know, mom, dad, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I've been exchanging naked pictures with a girl and, and, you know, like that's where it goes, right? Just imagine those a kid being able to articulate this to a pair. I mean, he'd be he'd rather any, be, be anywhere in the world but there. So, um, that's an extreme example, but it really happens in every which way. <coughs> so, um, I'm going to talk to you about barriers first, then I'm going to talk to you about some details. But the real discussion is going to start when you start asking me questions about this. Especially if you grew up in a more authoritarian environment where you were told what to do and then that last thing in the world you would, you would consider doing as a child would be telling your parents, it's a totally new experience. It's a different way of thinking. Um, and it's a different way of parenting. If you, you weren't brought up like this, you know, and you're doing authoritarian things, a lot of us, it's funny, you know, sometimes it's comical, sometimes it's sad. But like people do things like, I don't know, you know, it's what my parents did, or that's what you think in your head. Um, I got a call from someone. Uh, I came home, I came home from work, my wife told me, she says, Yeah, you gotta call these people back, Nebuch, they're 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 in a terrible spot. Their their son, it's a true story, their son had gone up to his room and he took ch- uh, uh, furniture and broke every single wall in his bedroom. He was throwing like chairs and dressers through the sheetrock and just trashed his room completely. And the parents were naturally hysterical. Um, My compliments to the chef. Thank you. Um, So I asked the guy, I said, tell me, why did the, why did he, why was he doing this? So he said, because I took away his phone. 
So the kid got so enraged that he started throwing stuff around. So he said, what did he do that you took away his phone? This is true conversations. He said, he, g- he gave my wife an attitude. He was very disrespectful. So I said, so why'd you take away his phone? What does it have to do with the other? There should be some logic. He didn't do anything wrong with his phone. So why did you take away the phone? He says, because it makes him crazy. <laughs> I said, he said, did you just call me? Why did you call me? Because you're so went crazy. I said, what's the matter with you? Like, what are you thinking? I didn't say it exactly like that. I gave him my, I busted his chops a little later in the conversation. But like, this just makes no sense. But this is what some of us had been used to as kids. It's a totally, di- I'm saying it's a different way of thinking. And I encourage you to take this journey and try to get yourself there. Let's start with barriers. Why would a child not talk to their parents? So I would not tell my parents about something I'm doing wrong or something my friends are doing wrong or some friends of mine started drinking. We were were to Shalom Zachar. Two kids got toasted. I'm really concerned. I'd like to talk to my parents, but... What? You're going to get in trouble, which means a little more detail. And what does trouble mean? Yeah, right. Right. So the parents are going to the parents are going to admonish them, and they might take they might punish them for that. Right. One. Go on. What else? You need to tell the parents the friend's parents. Right. They're not going to keep your confidentiality. Right. That's a big one. Okay. So they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get punished. They they want you. You're going to go and tell your friends, and then your friends are going to tell my friends, and I'm not going to be able to go back to school anymore. Okay, go ahead. We got two. Anybody else? I'm going to upset my parents. I don't want to upset them. Right? I don't want to disappoint them. Right? I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to upset them. Go ahead. Anything else? I'm sorry? They're embarrassed. Right? And that goes into another thing that parents often do. When you sit and tell you, your child tells you something, you see they're embarrassed, and you say, look me in the eye. It's like the last thing in the world. Right? You know, you, you do something, you mess up at work, and you speak to your supervisor, like the last thing you want to do is, oh, by the way, you know, I lost the biggest client in the company. <laughs> like, you know, look at me, you know, look me in the eye. What? Who wants to look in the eye when you... Right, so, so right, but they're embarrassed, right? They don't want to, they don't want to have this discussion, okay? So confidentiality, they don't want to get punished. They don't want to upset you. Um, how about you don't get it? If they think that you don't get it and you won't understand these things, so why would they bother? Which goes into why should I upset you if if you're not going to know what's going on? Right? And one of the kids over the years, a young man, um, he told me, I said, why don't you go talk to your parents? So he said, just like, yeah, I see his face in front of me. He says, Rabbi Horowitz, you know, my mother is like, she's such a nice lady. <laughs> With that tone of voice, like he's talking about a four-year-old. She's like a really nice lady, which means clueless. That's what he was really saying. She's such a nice lady. And he says, you know, whenever she hears I'm doing something that, uh, that upsets her, she goes like this. <gasps> and takes out a Tehillim. <laughs> I promise you. And he said, like, she's such a nice lady. Like, why should I upset her? You know? Which, which is both. She's upset and I don't know, she doesn't get it anyway. So do you get it? So let's do this. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you think you know more about technology than your teenagers? Hands up. Do you work in technology? Yeah. (laughs) What do you do? I I mean, I wrote software for a long time. Okay, so we got one parent. Anybody else? And and you weren't even sure about that. I saw your hand. (laughs) How old is your oldest kid? 15. I'm not so sure about that either. We're on about the same level now. 
Okay, so he's going to steigeis soon. I'll show you soon. Um, by the way, I'm just telling you, I've been suggesting this to people for the longest time. I don't know anyone who's taken it up in full. My suggestion is, to all of you whose hands were down, that's pretty cool. You're supervising your children in an area that they know better than you. Let's get this again. Let's, let's repeat this, okay? You're attempting to supervise your children about something that you don't know as much as they do. Now, from my vantage point, that's a little problematic. So I've been suggesting that people, you might want to start it, you're an entrepreneurial guy, go for it. I suggest that people should outsource supervision to someone who gets it. Well, there's a lot of stuff that you can put in, in the way. Yeah, but the parents don't know how to install the software and to keep it. And Not only that, I'll tell you a problem with that. You, and by the way, the next thing you should do, Rabbi, is call everybody back again and get this guy up to talk to the... I'm serious, I'm that, I'm that serious. Or get a, t get a kid who's 19 years old to come here and, and talk to you guys. But I'm saying the reason that I think it's better if they outsource it is because the kids know, you'll tell them what software the kids know they can run rings around. If they'll be more intimidated running rings. In other words, I think you should have like a menu of options how strong the supervision should be. How from you are. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, okay. Strammel. We go all the way. Right. So, no, but, but, but seriously, if, you, if, you, if I was a kid and I knew that a professional was, was checking on my computer, you know, my, my phone out, I would, you know, I would, I would give me some pause. I, I encourage you to think about it. I, I know some people do it, but it's, if it's more, it has to be, I think it has to be customized because it, it doesn't work any other way. But it, seriously, folks, if your kids are adolescents, you have to know what's going on. You don't have the luxury. If you've got little kids, or if your kids are out of the house, like I said today, keep your AOL address, it's fine. But I'm serious, you, cannot, you can't take a pass on this. You cannot take a pass on this. Um, so, so let's talk about these barriers and what you can do to overcome them. It's really as simple and as complicated as this. It's about thinking about what the barriers are. It's logical that kids would not want to talk to you because they don't want to get punished. You're not going to keep the confidentiality, right? They don't want to be embarrassed. They, you, you might not get it. So think about that. And you can't, you can't bat like 500 on this. If, you, if there's six barriers and you do five out of six, that's fantastic. But they still, like if you don't keep the confidentiality, you can do everything else right. So, so talk to your kids. I mean, I'm just telling you what my wife and I did at home. Um, we told our children that if they do anything, um, if they tell us about anything, we will not punish them for, for it. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't have discussions with them. They want you to have discussions. They want you to have informed discussions. Um, but tell us stuff. We'll talk about it. If someone's life's in danger, we're going to do something about it. Other than that, we'll just have a discussion. Um, we told our kids, if something's going on in your life, we want to know about it, even if it's going to upset us. And what I spoke earlier today about, you know, have, about telling your children that I, my skin in the game is that we want to know, even if it's going to upset us. And, and, and um, tell the children that they shouldn't, they, they shouldn't feel embarrassed. As far as the confidentiality thing, I, I'm... Listen, this is discussions that you should have among yourselves. But I'll just tell you, my wife and I, we told our children, 
together, we told our kids that, you know, mom and I, we don't keep any secrets from each other ever. But if you want to talk to one of us and not the other, and you don't want the other to know, we promise you that we will keep your confidentiality and we won't tell and we didn't. And we raised the kids like this. The five kids went through the house. That was the deal. They were allowed to talk to one of us and not the, and, and this is why you need question and answer. So challenge me and talk about it and ask me questions about all of this. Um, but that's something we did truthfully. We really did not tell each other. We really did, after the kids were married, we had some discussions about it, but we really did. Um, we, I'm, I'm gonna finish, you, who, you had your hand up, you're first. Yeah. Let me just finish the, if I may. And then, so, so that's the way we particularly dealt with MJ. And it was interesting over the years, they, they were, they were, it was almost predictable what they spoke to me about and what they spoke to my wife about. Things that required a very strong uh, stomach lining, you know, things that, that are more frightening, they all, they all went to me because, you know, I don't get rattled that easily because of the stuff I do. Um, and, and a lot of other things they were much more comfortable talking to my wife about. I think actually, you know, we made lots of mistakes like anybody else, but that, that happened to have been a good thing that we did. So just think about the barriers, check them off. You don't get it, you have to get it. You just have to, you really have to. And, and the kids, Is vaping better than cigarettes? Is it true that marijuana is really less than a drink? This stuff is dated, by the way. This information is dated. Because when I, when I grew up, and maybe even when some of you guys grew up, if you're that age, marijuana was considered just one click less than cocaine. You know, in my days, if somebody was using marijuana, they were considered a pot smoker and a druggie. Today, the kids, your children, look at it like it's less than a drink. Many of them do. And they'll tell you it's legalized in certain places. People, that, this is the arguments that they'll tell you. It's legal, it's, it's gonna, listen, this is the one, it's illegal in Georgia? It's I don't not know. the kids. What? It's not the kids. I mean, the parents are using it. What? The parents are using it. That, that, that's also an issue, of course. We gotta talk, maybe we'll have it that for a different night, <laughs> you know. Parents, parents, parents. Yeah, but, but, but the truth is, look, the reality is that if the children believe it, without that, without that complication, that if the kids believe it, then, then it almost makes no difference. If you go and lecture them about it, and the reality has changed since you were a teenager, they're going to roll their eyes and you just wasted a lot of your political capital on something that they, that the reality, it really has changed because, especially because of legalization and, and, and other things. Um, and I've heard all the arguments from the kids. And another reason why they need to talk to you about it, about the, anything, is perhaps in this generation more than any other because there's so much information out there. Be, if you just look up something right now, you have whatever, you have your back starts hurting, uh, what's better, is it, you know, exercise or don't exercise, should you use this or that? You'll find, th you'll find things on every end of the spectrum. What's real and what's not? What's real information and what's not? How do you think the kids have to process this? And it's okay to say you don't know. You say, I'll go with you to somebody, let's talk to a professional about it. You, you're modeling great behavior. Um, but I just encourage you to stay in the game and just get in the game. Um, that involves thinking, it involves 
supervision of your children. I, I believe I mentioned the other night, the other I never went upstairs until every child was home. I never went up the steps at night until, because when the kids would tell me, Tati, we're going locally, it's okay, you can go upstairs already. And I said, sure, tell me when you're in for the night. You know, and, and you know, that it, it's a lifestyle change. If you really want to do this, if you want to be engaged, look, people, parents who are clueless sleep better at night than parents who are in the game. Let's be honest. Parents who don't know what's going on, how's everything? Oh, everything's great, you know? But they don't know what's going on. They're not able to guide their children. I'll take some questions. Go. I want you to challenge me. All right, go. Here we go. So, how do you reconcile the ability to want the children to have the open dialogue without the consequence, yet they then are under the impression that there are no consequences? So, no. Nope. They're going to go through thinking that whatever behavior they do is an accepted behavior because there is no consequences. So, I said, maybe I wasn't clear. I, that's why questions are important. I said no punishments. A punishment is different than a consequence. A consequence is logical. And, and you sit down with your child. You don't say you're grounded for the next six weeks. But you sit down and you say, look, obviously if you have a drinking problem or if you're doing, then we need to help you solve this. So we're going to do this and that. Whatever you do. But that, this, that puts them in a place where they're not going to want to talk to you. So, no. So, so you talk to them about it, and they get it. Believe me, the children get it. You know, I've lost track of the amount of times that kids have complained to me that they have no curfew. And the first time when I was younger and started working in this space, say, people would come and complain to me, and I'm the only one in my class who doesn't have a curfew. I said, is that a problem? And the kids say, I really mean this, the children say things like, yeah, sure, my mother says she trusts me, she just doesn't want to be bothered. You know, when, when the kids see, when they're out in the group, and there's 10 of them, and the kids are texting their parents, I'll be a little <coughs> bit later, or whatever it is, and, and there's a kid there who doesn't have a parent that cares enough to fight with them, or to go to the mat and do this ugly stuff, the kids know that they're, they're being... They're being abandoned. They, they get it. Believe me. It's like landing. It's like when a plane lands. You know, everybody texts someone they love. You know, the people who aren't there right now, you know, it's a lonely place to be. I'm telling you. So that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you, you what it means, it doesn't mean that you, there isn't, or there aren't different outcomes for, let's say Friday, let's say a kid comes and says, I went to Shalom Zachar and I got plastered, right? So he says, I got sick, I dreamt, whatever, two of my, kid, two of my friends were, were really messed up and I got a so the next Friday night, you'll have a discussion with him. You'll say, listen, how do you want to deal with this? So do you want to go on your honor and you'll come home and tell me what you did? Do you want us to supervise you in a different way? You, give them some choices. It doesn't mean you say a punishment. You say, this is what it is because I said so and that's it. Your children would feel it's neglectful if you didn't have a conversation with them. It just means that you do it in a different way. We're trying to help you. We want to be a resource to you. The children, I'm telling you, they'll, they'll, they might fight around with you over it, but deep down they know that it's the right thing for them to do, and they understand that you're not going to put them in a dangerous situation again. So it doesn't mean there's, there's no consequence at all. It means that you're not going to do the punishment thing. You're going to talk to them about it. That's all. I mean, that's, 
Thank you for questions so I could explain. Okay, go. Uh, In fact, I just ask whoever's asking, just speak up if you can. Go. How old, like how young rather, can you tell them? And then when they're young, like for example, I remember when one of our daughters was like five, we tried to say, by the way, no one's allowed to touch your privates. So if anyone touches your privates, tell mommy and tati. She just like kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like she thought it was silly or something. So young kids at whatever age makes sense to talk to them about like you can tell mom and daddy anything. Like how do you, how do you, well, you start, it, it's really, it's not, it, you know, it's not, it's not, by the way, I, I, just stick with the child safety education thing. Um, there's, there's some research-based ways to have these conversations with the kids. Are you familiar? You've studied up on it? Okay, so I have a nine-minute video, because it's really important to, to, it's a free video. Listen, I told you, I'm an eighth grade Rebbe, you're not gonna, I'm not going to get distracted. You can look it up right now, it's fine, I don't care, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> Uh, but just do Yaakov Horowitz Child Safety on YouTube. It's a nine-minute video that will give you the tools that you need to do to have an informed conversation. It's, we start as young as three or four. We have a child safety book. I donated a few copies to the, to the shul. So it's meant as a reader to speak to your kids. I mean, there are certain messages. To, I don't want to get into it now, but um, uh, if you'd like to, I'll be glad to stop. How many of you want me to do a five-minute thing on child safety? Hands up. Let me have another coffee, please. <laughs> okay, so, so, so very quickly, let me lose that. So please, do me a favor, bookmark the video. It's a simple video. It's, it's just the Yaakov Horowitz Child Safety. It'll come right up. It's nine minutes. It's just the thing. The basic idea, the big idea behind this, the big idea behind child safety is that, is that you're teaching your children. I'm, I'm sorry, let me back it up. It sounds counterintuitive that you can train a little kid to protect themselves against the big adult. Right when I first started realizing how bad, you know, how bad the, the, the child safety situation was, I don't just mean in our community everywhere. Um, once I realized what a big deal it was, so I started doing research on saying like, how do you stop this? So here's the here's the you know this theory and practice. The theory is also important, and you should feel empowered to have the conversations. The reason that it works is because the abusers. It's very, very rare. Way less than 5% of abusers are just go grab a child and abuse them. It's very, extremely rare. What usually happens is it's usually people in the inner circle that they know, um, friends, family members, people you know, in, the, in the closer network of people. And what those people usually do, the abusers are typically afraid of being caught. So what they do is they want to find out if this child has the ability, is capable of, is, does that child present a danger if they abuse them? Are they gonna to go to jail over this one? Here's a good way to think about it. I, I often give this example, because like it gets away from child safety for a second. It, imagine that I was a scammer, okay? Just imagine that I was selling phony, I had this spiel that I did, I wanted to make some quick money, I said that I have this development in Israel, and you can buy a house in Israel, 50 cents on the dollar, if you put down a $10,000 deposit. That's the spiel, okay? There's no development, it's nothing, it's baloney, okay? So I have a contract, and I'm looking to get $10,000 deposits. If you get it, you'll get an advanced price, it's good for 10 years. It's not true, okay, it's a lie. Now, I don't know you guys. I don't know any of you. So, I'm looking around this room now, and I say, who would be a good person for me to scam? Okay, right? Now, 
What's going to frighten me? What could I find out about you? What, what would I know? What about you? That, what's your first name? Scotty. Scotty. Scotty, what could I find out about you that would say, don't talk to this guy? If I found out that you were in what business? Real estate, finances, right? So what I'm going to want to do is, it's basic, by the way, this is exactly how I've had the misfortune to deal with hundreds of abusers over the years. I don't mean deal with, you know, but, you know, at Nebuch, this is exactly what they do. They look around the room of kids and they, they try to figure out who, who it's safe, so to speak, meaning they can get away with abusing. And they, they're extremely evil and extremely sophisticated. If you're, if you're marking things down to read, I really encourage you all. It's a, it's a very long essay. It's, it was written by Malcolm Gladwell. To do, it, to do it now. I don't care. I'll be happy if you do. It's called In Plain View. It was written in New York Magazine by Malcolm Gladwell, the guy who wrote Tipping Point and Blink. He analyzed the... It's called In Plain View by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and what, what he did was he analyzed the Penn State. Uh, Penn State was a, was a big, you know, a college that had a big uh, uh, scandal. A guy, Jerry Sandusky, abused kids for many years. And, and he analyzed how did he get away with it. It's my number one recommendation to parents to understand how the grooming process works. Okay, so let's get back to, I'm sorry, first name? Scotty. So now, so I'm going to, so here we go. So I look around the room. Scotty has this nice, innocent face, and I say, he's a guy, I might be able to get away with it. So what I'm going to tell Scotty is, I'm not going to, now, the first time I meet Scotty, so I like Scotty, you look a nice guy. Do you have family in Israel, by the way? Wouldn't you love to have my apartment here? <laughs> listen, now, now listen, listen here. The first time, I'm going to say, you know, Scotty, how about we go for coffee tomorrow? I think this guy makes great uh, cappuccino. Maybe I'll come down and talk to him. So I set up an appointment to talk to Scotty tomorrow. Do I bring the contract with me? Because I don't know you yet. So unless my Ritalin ran out and I'm impulsive, I'm not going to bring anything to that first meeting because I don't know him. His dad might be a DA. So I don't know anything about him. Until I get comfortable with Scotty, I'm not making a move. We're just going to schmooze. So I'll sit down for coffee. And I want to know two things. Is he financially knowledgeable? And does he have a close family? Those are basically, you can distill all the information I want to know into those two things. Okay? Does Scotty financially knowledgeable? And does he have a close family? And I'll ask you questions. So tell me, you know, how's it, how's it going, Scotty? Do you, you know, I'm, I have this, this great real estate deal. Do um, you know anything about real estate? Ha-ha, I got it. Okay, we're good. Now, um, and then I'll say, so if he says yes, I'm out. I say, yeah, it's so nice. I'll meet you next week and see you later. Okay? If he says I'm not knowledgeable, it hasn't helped me yet because I don't know who else he knows that's knowledgeable. So I want to find out about your family. You live here in Atlanta. How long have you been here? A year. Just a year. Do you have any friends and family here? No, you're alone. <laughs> so, if he, so if he tells me, by the way, there's, a, there's an incident there that Gladwell writes about, the soccer coach that called Clay, I read, by the way, believe it or not, I read about 10 books about this whole, like, really nauseous. But the, this, there was a guy, the, uh, a play, a soccer coach, who had spiels like this. <coughs> Almost all the firm abusers that I dealt with had some sort of system that was evil and brilliant. This Scott, what he, this guy, 
Hey, listen. I was interested. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was. What, oh, thank you. Is this? What is this? Hold on, Oh, oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, so I was interviewed. I was in a, one of the largest shuls in North America. I was there for Shabbos at Charles Shudas. And um, my dear friend who's the Rav there, so they have like 11 minyan on Shabbos morning. There's like 900 families there. So Charles Shudas, everybody's together. So the rabbi introduced me. It's a pleasure to have Rabbi Horowitz. He's been with all He's a world-renowned expert on child abuse. I said, prevention! <laughs> so I'm sorry about that, Scotty. So the guy's name was Clay. And what Clay used to do is he was a soccer coach. And in the middle of a practice, he would say, guys, we got this big game tomorrow. Uh, we're going to run practice an extra half hour. And let's say there's 12 kids on the team. So eight of them do what? I got to text my parents. And he looks around at them and says, okay, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. And then from the four that were left, he would steal some of their equipment. Like he would go and grab some gloves of theirs or a knee pad. <coughs> and he would take it home with him and he would stop by the house and look if the house was orderly, he would be frightened. If the house was chaotic, he would be encouraged. Then he would come back, ring the bell, talk to mom, and say, you know, Joey left us at the, Joey left us at the game. Um, I just wanted to bring it back to you. So how, what does Joey say about, the, about soccer? Oh, he never talks. I, I can't get him to say anything. Check, check, check. That's exactly how they work. So because I'm going to find out who's your family, do you know anybody? Is anybody in your family in real estate? No. They're all in colo. It's <laughs> a great. Yeah. No, so, so all of these things, knowledge and family. Now that you know this, the child's education is so simple. It's really, once you that's why the theory is so important. Because once you know how they work, so there, oh, your phone, thank you so much. Once you know how, how the phone works, once you know how they work, you can anticipate what they're going to say. So teaching your children, no secrets from parents. Um, you know, there's good touching, bad touching. Your body belongs to you. You talk about personal ownership. And, and you have a right to leave something that's uncomfortable. But you're basically training your children because the way it works is, um, whether it's physically that they encroach on their space slowly or they... They, in, they engage with them, um, they're more like, they're trying to find out those two things. So that's really what child safety education is about. And that's why, you know, that's why you really should learn about it and feel empowered. This stuff is so effective. Uh, it's, and and it, by the way, it's the beginning of a conversation. You talk about being open with the children. This isn't the end of it. This is the beginning. And then you can add things on your own. And I, I've heard some brilliant things that parents were kind enough to share with me so I can share them with you. Tosos, you know, that, that parents added on to this child. That I, I had a, there's a Hasidic guy in Barra Park who bought his son a watch. He bought all his children watches. And he said, if anybody, because if anybody, the kid was going to shul already, he was, he was 14 years old. He said, if anybody gets you in a space where you're uncomfortable, just look at your watch and say, my father's picking me up uh, in two minutes. And this kid was approached in a basement. The guy got arrested. He had never molested many, many kids doing that. And this guy got away with it because he got bugged out when the kid said, my father's coming. So like, this is the beginning of a conversation. I don't want to do more than this. I did more than five minutes already. But I really encourage you to study this research for all of this stuff. Study it. Go. Next. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. So you said before about confidentiality that you have in front of your spouse. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So, so how does it work? How does it work if, if uh, we're supposed to be parents are supposed to be on the same page? That's what they teach us, right? So, if a telling one of us, but that was the page. We told our children that this is the page. This is what we do. We trust each other to do what's right, and you can tell one of us. But that's what we said. Those were the rules that we set as a family. So it wasn't that we were telling the kids to do an end run around mom and dad. It was that we want you to, it's such a value to us that you feel comfortable talking to us that if you want to talk to one of us, we're going to go out of our normal practice of not keeping secrets from each other and doing everything collaboratively. In this case, we're going to do what you ask because it's important. Okay? So we're not, we're not saying that we're not discussing this stuff. We're not going to talk about this. We really did, by the way. We really, really did. We never, ever... Both of us did not share with each other because, like, you never lie to your kids. You know, they have truth beepers and they have a lot more, you know, they, they get it. So, look, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm saying I encourage you to think about it. Think about it. As you're working with this confidentiality barrier that you mentioned, it's just a creative way that we came up with to deal with it. So, so you know, we found, it, we found it a helpful tool. Did I answer your question completely? You don't look... Anything you want to ask on that? Oh, I'm sorry. So, so we did tell our kids always that we'll keep it confidentiality unless someone's life is in danger. We used to say that up front, that that's an exception and that's something that we have to deal with. And we'll figure it out. But I won't do anything without telling you first. So, so it's a balance. Right, you're right. It's a balance. You have these competing values and you have to decide, look, we're all going to make mistakes with this. I'm saying nobody's perfect. We were, certainly weren't perfect parents. Um, it's a process. The point is that when you talk about it and you think about having this as a value that your children can talk to you, it, it, it's so important. I actually did the first time. Our youngest daughter is in, is in, uh, it, she's, in she's going for, uh, for MSW. And um, when I, I did a talk at Mariah, Mariah's a school, a great, a wonderful school in Englewood. They asked me to come down after the SAR thing to speak to the parents. So I did a talk. The title was, Would Your Kids Tell You? That was the title of the talk. And I actually brought our married daughter down. And I said, you have practical questions. You can ask our daughter. She can I tell she can say anything she wants. And the people were asking her what it was like to, uh, it's a little far <coughs> for her to come here. You know, but, but it was really, it was a lot of fun, actually. I enjoyed it. But she was really great. She was talking, and they, and they challenged her. What did you do with this? Did you tell them this? How, how did they respond? Did they do it? Was good? You know, that's part of the, but this is part of the process. Go. Well, we explain to them why. I'm saying, again, I'm saying you don't have to do it. No, I know, but it just seems so no. I'm not. What, what, the message really wasn't that you shouldn't keep secrets from us. It's a little. It's a subtlety, but I think it was important. We didn't tell the children you should tell us because we don't want you to tell, keep secrets from us. We want you to be able to confide in us and about anything. 
We want you to feel comfortable talking. It wasn't about, we don't want you doing things behind our back. Maybe I didn't clarify that, but that, the message that we told the kids is, we think it's so important that you should be able to talk to us about anything so that you can, so we can help you with your life. Even if it's going to upset us, it's a value for us that you should be comfortable talking to us. That really was the message. It wasn't necessarily about secrets, but again, we told the kids that we made this up because of you, because we want you to be comfortable. That was just, and I'm telling, I'm, anecdotally, I'm just saying, over the years, it really did make a difference. Um, anybody else? Go. Like, how do you get to that point? Because you can't go to a 15-year-old and say, I'm here for you. Like, oh, you mean at the beginning? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah right. when you have little kids. Right, right. So, that, so, you know? so, look, I, I don't think we should drone on and say this. We didn't do this once right. a month. You know, we, we, it, was, it wasn't. I think a good time was, like, to do refreshers if the kids went away to summer camp. Or, or you know, if there was something. Before the, before the Chagim, we found was a very helpful time to, to mm-hmm. talk to the kids because... They're exposed to a lot more people, you know, and we wanted to, to have a talk with the kids. Uh, but it's true, if you have not done this until now, um, in all likelihood it's going to be challenging to get them to do it right away. What I found over the years is that the kids will usually test you with something very small. You know, they'll come and tell you, uh, I forgot to kiss the mezuzah one day. On, you know, I'm not even that literally. But I'm saying, you know, they'll tell you really a minor thing that they did and they're going to see it. You're not going to get... If you have not had this with the kids, you're not going to get the real deal right away. They'll tell like you have little little kids, like all my kids are four and under. Uh, so, so that's like, you know how do you get to a point where it's be, it becomes part of your house culture. If it becomes part of the culture that the kids can talk to you, I'm saying like adolescents or tweens, like they start, they'll start testing you with 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 smaller things, and if they feel. That when they feel comfortable and secure, you know, we did Maslow Friday night, they have to get that security before, they, before they're comfortable talking to you. Anybody else, folks? Yeah. Yes, sir. I just, uh, first, I want to commend you, because like, my question is coming from the kitchen. Somebody from the kitchen, I can say, well, I got a question for you. Go for it. Tell the kitchen, who was the kitchen person? Go ahead, speak up. You don't, need, you don't need an interpreter. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm not a theory by any means, so I might be kind of off. But, for example, you were talking about barriers earlier, right? Yep. So if you, like implement those barriers, if you implement everything you were talking about, but there's a certain problem that still persists and it's repetitive, then how do you go about tackling that issue without creating a distance between you and the child? Well, what do you mean about a repetitive? But what do you mean like about Like if they keep doing the same kind of behavior, like if they keep, you know, behaving a certain way over and over again, even though you sat down and talked, you've had that trust issue, you know, that trust is there, everything is there, you're doing everything right by the book, right. but it's still persisting. So, so the objective is not the objective of parents are, are it's an unrealistic expectation that your children are going to stop making mistakes you know the people parents have been disappointed by their children's choices since the beginning of time that's just the way it is and part of in fact I would, I would propose to you that, that the real parenting is guiding kids through their mistakes and this type of relationship enables you to do this. So um, we shouldn't be getting disappointed or feeling that we're failing if the kids keep making mistakes. That's what kids do. That's their job description. They're young. They're impulsive. You know, if you, even if you check physiologically, 
you look through the research in, front, in terms of the frontal lobe and the areas of the brain that are brakes, the areas of the brain that, that are the equivalent of brakes in a car um, is underdeveloped when they're going through adolescence, which is why they typically act in a certain way. If you, if if you want to study this a little bit, um, do a Google search. Keep doing it right now. Because look up Phineas Gage. I don't know how to spell P-H, I think. G- anybody familiar? You want to share? Go ahead. Phineas Gage was? What? He's a railroad worker, and he was working on the railroad, and he drilled. He had a, there's a guy called Phineas Gage. He, he drilled him. Look it up. It's actually a very interesting story. He was working on the railroad, and he, they were setting off explosives to loosen the rocks, and there was a stake, a long stake in the ground that shot up and unfortunately speared him in the head. He survived, but his frontal lobe, you know, till, till that time, there wasn't enough study or research and understanding about the different parts of our brains which they've come, you know, there's almost advances every year in how we understand this. So Phineas, he got drilled in the front of his head and he had been a very responsible adult, mature, you know, mature adult worker there. And all of a sudden he started acting like a teenager. You look up the reports, it's really fascinating. He started cursing, he started doing crazy things. And he was, he was in a 40 year old body, but he was acting like a teenager. And that got people thinking, oh, that frontal lobe, that is in, the research and that, um, of what the area of the brain that controls this stuff was underdeveloped in this, in, 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 is underdeveloped in adolescence. By the way, if you want a Torah source, if you want a Torah source, a lot of yeshivas don't teach this because they don't want the kids to know, but you can look this up also. What are you nodding your head about? What? I think I know. What am I going to say? You're not high on this until you're 20. Right, very good. Which yeshiva told you that? <laughs> good. What? Oh, he didn't learn in yeshiva. It was afterwards. Did the rabbi give it in yeshiva? No. So, so this is a, this is true. Look it up. This is true. It's and I find it fascinating um, that the halacha is if a if a fifteen year old breaks a window, he or she has to pay for it. If they key a car, they have to pay for it. But if they don't keep Shabbat, so Hashem says. Until you're 20, you got a waiver. It doesn't mean that you're not responsible for it, but you don't get punished until you're 20. That's why I don't think they teach you about it in yeshiva, because they don't want that. Oh, hey, guy, let's party. Two more years to go, right? So, but what's, what's the interpretation? How do you understand this? Bechal, let me ask you better. Why did God give us free choice? This restaurant doesn't work on free choice. I can't just walk behind. <laughs> Maybe I can. No, I'm saying, like, I can't do whatever I want. The street doesn't work. Nothing works. If you were on the board of the world, if there was a board of directors for the world, would you vote for free choice? I wouldn't vote for free choice. God gave us free choice. So we believe in scharva onish, but nobody gets tasered when they do an Avera. Think about it. It's only Shemayim. Shemayim. I said. I, any, right, I said. Right, that's, that's what I said. I said if you damage someone, if you damage another person, you're responsible, but to Shemayim, right. So what's the, I, I said that, we have to pay back. In fact, times of the Gemara, they, they, a person would have to work it off. They would have to, if they damaged someone, they would have to work it off until they paid it up. But, but so what's Pshad? Because you have this big 15 or 18 year old kid. If you're going to let that kid run wild and, and not, not take him, him or her to task, they're going to destroy the world. They're stronger than we are. So what, what's the balance? So, so Chazal said, if you damage somebody else, you got to pay for it. But Hashem says, I get it. You're a teenager. Your frontal lobe is not developed yet. So I mean, so I, I really believe Hashem gave us free choice, so we should become better people, and and part of becoming better people is making mistakes. We learn more from our mistakes than anything else. That's just the way we are. So 
I think adolescence is a time where the children should make mistakes while they're in our home so we can guide them. I'll take a couple more. Go. In terms of the sleepwear, where somebody was out with his friends. Yes. They'll be afraid of tattletaling. How do you, when they're afraid of tattletaling, when they're talking to their parents, how do you bring that Right, so part of that is, that's what we're talking about, part of that confidentiality thing is that you agree, you're telling your children that if you tell us something and you ask us not to share it with someone, unless someone's life is in danger, we will honor your request. Or we will at least discuss it with you before we take any action. And you gotta stick to it. That means if you find out that kids are going to Shalom Zachas and, and just, you know, and, and getting plastered, so you might figure out a creative way to notify someone, but you, don't, you made up that you're not gonna talk about it, so you don't. Okay, just take a couple more. Go ahead. Anybody else? I have a question. Go. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. What would have been more appropriate? That's a good question. Okay. So, um, the question, I know, the question was, um, I said the story about the guy, the, the parent took away the phone because the kid was, because uh, the kid was giving his mother an attitude. So, um, I obviously felt that taking away the phone was not a good idea. What would be a good idea? So this is parenting. You know, you talk to the, you talk to the children about it. You could tell a child that he has to do a chore tomorrow to help his mother out, or whatever. I'm saying. I I, I, I don't know if you were there Friday night. I was talking about about uh, creative punishing. You know, with the, with the research shows that if there's logic to it, if there's logic to a consequence. There's almost no resentment. There's very, very little resentment. When it's arbitrary and it doesn't make sense, like taking a phone away, uh, the kids get frustrated. So he's breaking, <laughs> my kid's going crazy because I make some nuts. Because they get crazy because it's what, I used to tell, you know, your teachers, they, they come, they would tell you, you're playing with your phone, you know, but I, so you say, well, what, I, what would I do if I was playing with my fingers? You can take that away. Like some saying, there has to be, there's a logic to it where you talk, you talk to them about respect. And, are we done? What if, yes? What if the child was a, like a teenager, like, so I have a son who can't comprehend the logic of it. So the logic of what? Like you can have a logical like this happens, so this is the record, but in his mind he can't process it. He's okay. not short enough to process it. Okay. So when it comes to punishment, it becomes a phone or something because you you need everything else. You can't you can't comprehend what you're what you're trying to. I would suggest that you could be creative, and I used to do chuva or punishment. That was my typical line. Chuva or punishment? Which one do you want? And you could have them, like kids would fight with each other in the playground. I would tell them to go together to the nursing home and visit sick people, visit elderly people together for a half hour. Go to Tom Cheshabas together. You fought together, go do a mitzvah together. I'm saying it doesn't have to be directly logical, but you say, you present it as, look, you did something wrong. How do, what do you think would be a fair way? You know, you upset mom. What do you think would be a fair way for you to make it up to her? That's it. You present it in a way that, that it's logical. So they're going to fight and argue and handle with you, but this is what it is. If it's not arbitrary, if, if the kid hears that there's an attempt at logic, it typically lowers the temperature very much. And, and, and it's hard, you know, sometimes we, it's okay to tell your kids, I'm really upset now. I don't want to talk about it right now with you. I don't want to punish you right now because... I'm upset right now, we'll talk about it tomorrow. You know, or, or, or do it in a way that works. But try not to lash out. So the, that's what generates the... the yep, go. I have a kid that would probably tell me such 
this friend curses or this friend watches things that are inappropriate. And I say, which friend? And he says, I don't want to tell you because then you won't let me hang out with him. What's the approach to that? He's telling me because he's comfortable to tell me, which is great. At the same time, I don't want to say, okay, great, it's your Thanks for telling me. <laughs> <laughs> So, right, that's it. That's it. That, that's fantastic. So first of all, the first part is good, like you said, right? That he's coming and talking to you about it. Um, he may never want to tell you who it is. He also doesn't want you to tell the kid's parents, right? So you might have to just live with that, you know, to live with the fact that you can't do anything with the information. Um, what it might open you up to is having a discussion with your child about inappropriate language or inappropriate, watching inappropriate things. I, I just mentioned to the rabbi today, we were talking to Mil today, um, there, there's a, a, print, a principal of a yeshiva in, in the five towns, it's called Masifta Teres Yaakov. My, bro, my tzaddik brother happens to work there, but the principal, he's such an amazing educator. Uh, his name is Rabbi Yafi, Rabbi Mordechai Yafi. And he called me, he called me a number of, a few years ago, probably two, three years ago, he called me to invite me to a dinner, to a, a catered dinner that they had in the yeshiva for the parents of the school, and the whole high school and all the kids, kids and fathers. What happened was the 12th graders on their own decided to filter their phones. And these are modern Orthodox kids that grew up with, they had phones in middle school already. You know, they were not like they were first time, it wasn't their first rodeo. Um, and the, the teacher did it in such a brilliant, the Rebbe did it in such a brilliant way where he didn't give them a speech and he didn't give them, Moses rules are you going to burn in hell for all eternity and your eyes are going to get poked out, you know, whatever, you know. Like, what he did was he was so clever about it. I was so impressed. What this guy did is, and it's something that you might want to have discussions about with having, how old is this kid? About Good for you. Really, I'm, I'm kalakavod that he talks to you. You know, I, I saw a great interpretation by Bar Mitzvah. We say, Baruch Shepatrani mi Anshay Shalazad, right? That, that, that uh, what does that mean? That the, the dad says, until the kid's 13, the father's responsible for any sins that the kid does. Now it's the kid's responsibility. It's a really nice thing to say in front of friends and family. <laughs> Burn in hell on your own. <laughs> you know, I'm off the hook. <laughs> right? That's pretty bad. Wait two years. <laughs> okay, Mazel Tov. Okay, I'm off the hook. Yay! Now you. So I saw such a beautiful tide that when children are young, you, it's harder to reason with them. So you have to punish them. You, you're not going to sit and have a discussion about consequences with a three-year-old who runs in the street or touches something that's hot or he hurts it. But when you get older, you're able to dispense with punishments and have real conversations. Baruch Shepatrani, I thank Hashem that this, my child is old enough that I got freed from these types of punishments that I was giving him. Not reference to God. And that's a great thing for you to tell your child. You know, I'm glad that you're old enough to have these discussions so we can go beyond me disciplining you back and forth and we can have real talks about it. Okay? It, it, I, it was a very meaningful chat, you know, when I heard it. So what, what, this, what, this, what this principal did, what this Rebbe did was, he, he, he was a 12th grade Rebbe, and he spoke to his kids about setting goals for Israel, for the year in Israel. And nothing to do with phones. He just, what are your goals for Israel? And let's talk about it. And think about it, and next week we're going to reflect on the goals. Is this really what you want to do? you have any other goals? To compare with each other. And then he said, what do you think the barriers are? 
What's, what's going to get in the way of you accomplishing what you want to accomplish in Israel? And the number one thing, of course, was phones. So this, this rabbi is so smart. You know how patience that takes? So he just hung in there and he said, so what do you think we should do about it? Anybody have any ideas? So maybe we should, uh, you know, maybe you leave your phone. The kids were saying, maybe we'll put our phones away for one day a week or two days, you know. And eventually the, kid, the kids on their own, these American kids who grew up with phones very early on, said, one of the kids, Rabbi Yafi told me, he said, the Rebbe came out and he said, I've been working on this for four weeks. I got him. He said, one of the kids got up and said, Rebbe, we're going to have to do an Akeda. That, you know, Avram Avinu tied up Yitzchak before, before, before the Akeda. Akeda means to tie. It doesn't mean to bring a carbon. He said, you're going to have to tie us up. We're going to have to do this. We have to filter our phones because we're never going to be able to. It's too powerful. We're not going to do it. And he said, really? You think that's going to be? Calm and cool. And eventually, he said, look, let's talk to some technology company. Anyway, the kids decided to do this. Imagine you're a ninth grader. You want to talk about chenach? Imagine you're a ninth grade kid and you're watching these cool 12th graders speaking about how they came to that process. I, I felt bad that I couldn't come. He said, Yankee, you're gonna lo- I would have loved to be there. And he went right away. He says, guys, they came to our principal. He said, we're going to cater dinner for the whole school. And I want you to get up and talk about it. That is chinuch. That means when you take kids and so talk about the process. What is good about it? What's bad about it? How do you find yourself? How do you feel after you do you know watch the stuff or you do? You have a real discussion with them, and it's a challenge. And it's okay for you to say, "I have the same challenge." You know, it's difficult for all of us. It's something we have to deal with. You have a real meaningful. Co- that's patrani You're not punishing. You're talking. So it's not. Did I answer your question? Go. Kalakavot to you, by the way. Yes. Uh, let, let me just stop for a second. If any of you, please, I really mean sincerely, I'm delighted to stay here and take more questions. If any, please don't feel obligated to stay because you think I'm going to be insulted or anything. If you want to, if you have a life and you want to go or whatever, please seriously feel free to with my bracha. Go. And if you want to take more food, folks, go for it. Yes. Right, so, so, with, right. so it's the same idea, it's the same idea that you, you it's, in fact, it's easier at a younger age to tell your children that they can discuss things with you. And, and so sometimes they'll tell you things that you're not delighted to hear, and you'll say, I'm happy that you're telling me and that we can talk about it. It's really, it's about spending time with the kids, it's about really listening to them, um, it's about, you know, if your kids, there are a lot of creative ways to get kids to share their day with you. If you're asking your kid, folks, your child comes home from school and you say, how was your day? Uh, don't expect an answer, folks. Okay, how was your day means hello. And if you don't believe me, so if you say, how was your day? And your kid says, you know, that means... The kid's normal, he's responding to what you asked. How was your day is hello. If you don't believe me, the next time someone says, how was your day, tell them, you know, uh, him or her, whatever. Yeah, I have an ingrown toenail and it's really mad because you're like, what? Go away, you know? Right? So what? I haven't met your four-year-old. So some kids are talkative and you can't get them to stop talking and some kids just do hand signals. So if you're asking, if your child is not communicating when you're talking to them, and you're asking questions like, how was your day? Is everything okay? You know, whatever. 
don't expect an answer. So ask them, follow up on a question from the day before. Did, how, did it, how did it work out in the playground with that child? You know, how did you do? Did Mora continue that great lesson you told me about the other day? So that is a compliment. You know, I had this chus. I miss my Rebbe Rapam very much. And it, we, we never, I don't know how he did it. He had thousands and thousands of Talmudim. Whenever I walked in to talk to him, he would ask me about the last thing I went to him about. I have no idea how he did it. I have absolutely no idea. His heart was big enough for all of us. That's why I miss him. But it was, it was really, it was remarkable. You got the biggest, and, and how often did I speak to him? Twice a year, three times a year. I didn't want to bother him, especially when, when he was older. But <clears throat> I knew right away going in, this guy, had, guy, this person has a place in his heart for me because he remembered what I said. So when you follow up on a conversation with your children, especially with adolescents, you follow up on something, uh, then, then you're... That question is a compliment. I remembered, I was listening. <laughs> I really listened when you told me, right, really, Shefala, right, good. You know, my, my kids had to think, our children, Baruch Hashem, my kids, we, we call it in our family, respectfully irreverent. You know, the kids, Baruch Hashem, we raised them not to, you know, I'm not much of a formal stuff, you know, in terms of kavod and all of that, you know. That, that, Golf is the eight Sahara for me, not the, you know, not, not the, so we, we just encourage the kids to be, <laughs> so one of my, one of our three daughters started this thing called meatballs, and that was, that term was used when I was talking and not really paying attention, so if I would talk on the phone, and I'd say, hi, so how you doing, Leia, how's everything, yeah, good, Baruch Hashem, really good, yeah, she'd say, yes, the time, anyway, I just drove to meatballs, and I would say, and I would say, really, <laughs> and then she would say, ah, got you, Tati, stop listening to me, you know, so, if you're doing meatballs and the kids are talking and you say, wow, really, that's so beautiful, that's so nice, you know, but while she's telling you about a car crash, you know, so, so, you know, when you listen, it means that you're listening and you follow up on a conversation. That's really the way to do this. Okay, anybody else, folks? Yes, please. Speak up a little, please. I'll take your question if you give me another 60-year-old drink. <laughs> Thank you. Ask your question first. Go ahead. Is there any particular one thing that you say, your child is starving for this from you. They really want to feel, know, hear. Time. Uh, time. time. Your attention, your ear. You know, one of, one of the things about adolescence, and this was something that we discovered, that we, I, I as you know, having raised kids, um, I'll just tell you something that, that really struck me that that's not in the literature and it's not, you know, it's just Yankee with my kids. Um, the best conversation that I've ever had with the kids was when I was around and they were ready to talk. When I was around and they were ready to talk, both. Um, because Adolescence, if you want to, you know, by the way, if any of you have adolescence at home, you got a 15 year old, you want to start a good fight? If, yeah, two. Uh, two. if you're bored, you want to start a good fight, try it. Come home and say, uh, sit down, there's something I want to talk to you about. <laughs> That's great. They say, how long is this going to take? How dare you do this? You're chutzpah again, the whole fight. It's great, like have a little action, get the adrenaline up just for nothing. You know? So if you sit down with them and you say, I want to talk to you about the whatever, that's usually not going to work. You know? They. They, they become, 
You want to Google something? You want to Google something else? Look up refuel. It's called refueling or recharging in, in, the, in the mental health world. That's what they call it. Refueling and recharging. You see it with two-year-olds in the playground. Okay? You take a two-year-old to the playground and it makes no sense unless you know the script. That's why Shlomo HaMelech says, Ani bina li I am wisdom, speaking metaphorically. I have power. Once you understand stuff, see, this is the beauty of studying things. If you study sibling rivalry, if you study adolescence, when you study child safety, when you, you, you look into these things, you start understanding things much better because it's almost predictable. So let's take this recharging thing. It makes no sense to you. You're standing at a playground. Your, your, your two-year-old is running around with her, his or her friends. All of a sudden, they stop. They run over to you. They, they hug you. They give you this. Happens to you? There you go. Right? It happens to all of us. They give you this big hug. And as soon as you're enjoying it, you want to hug them back. They squirm away and run back to their friends. And you say, whoa, what was that all about? Right? So what's the mafarshim? And if you don't know what's going on, you just think, my kid's nuts. You know, whatever. And with teenagers especially. But once you get the, if you got the backstory, it makes perfect sense. Look it up. It's called recharging, refueling. You're a battery. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you're a gentleman. Thank you. Um, the, it's, you get a free question. <laughs> Go ahead. You have a question? Go for it. The, thank you. Well, well, let's just thank Gilad and the whole Samajan. Thank you very much. The sea bass was excellent on Friday. Just want you to know. Thank you. Um, but, but once you get the script, Rebetzin, it makes perfect sense. Your child is out there. They look a little... They get a little frightened. There's a lot of people here I don't know. Oh, there's mom. So they're feeling depleted. You give them a hug. Or they hug you. They grab your leg. And they fill up that when they're at 100%. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your emotions or what you want from them. They're full. They run away. It makes perfect sense. That's what teenagers do. If you watch this behavior, think about Friday. You're bringing, schlepping bags in. You ask your daughter to help you. She says, sure, Ma, I'll be right with you. And naturally, she doesn't do anything. You're steaming all day long. <clears throat> After the meal, Friday night, you're sitting on the couch. She's, Mom, I love you so much. <laughs> you say, where were you all day? Right? <laughs> How we doing, guys? Okay? Your child is coming to you to refuel. You have a whole list. It's like when you're on an airplane. If you've been doing work on your computer... You have like 30 emails in the outbox and you can't get rid of them. As soon as you land, so we have a whole list of tinas to our kids. And when we finally get up and snuggle up to us, oh, by the way, and you go unload about where were you all day today. But that's not what they came for. They came because they need... Now, it's okay to talk to them about the stuff, but not then. And it, seriously, if you learn, that's why it's so, especially if your kids are starting to become tweens or teens, study the stuff once... It, it, it's the same thing, but once you understand it, it's normal and you can predict it. I, I wrote a column, a guy, a guy wrote, I was writing for two years, I wrote a Q&A column, and I got a letter from a father. This is what, <laughs> this is what it sounded like. I daven in a shul, I love the minion, but you know, the guy obviously lives in a larger metro area. I, I daven in the shul, and I really enjoy the minyan very much. And my son just came home and told me that the davening is too long, the kiddush is lousy, and then they don't let anybody talk. <laughs> he wants to go daven in a different shul, what should I do? 
That was the question that her father asked me. Okay? So I wrote the entire response. You can look it up. It's still on my website. I, I wrote the entire response without asking a very important question. How old is your kid? So I wrote the response like this. My pre- I didn't ask you how old, the ki- how old your child is, but my prediction is that your child is either 9, 10, 13, or 14. And then I wrote the whole answer. I said, the reason is because until these are normal developmental stages, and I wrote because when a child is seven, eight, well, 6, 7, 8, <clears throat> we call them in Gemara Metaltalin. They're like, you know, movable objects. Get up, get in, sit down, buckle up, we're going here, we're going there. They, they just consider themselves extensions of you. Who do they go for play dates with? With the f- kids of your friends. All of a sudden, they say, hold it. I'm a... Now, 9 and 10 is a normal... I'm sorry? Did you just have that? Sorry? No, I said I love this. You love what? <laughs> this dog. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I want have a seltzer. <laughs> it's actually sparkling water. <laughs> sparkling water is twice the price of seltzer. Anyway, so, so but, but think of what happens. Think of what happens. So you're, you, this is it's so healthy. What happens is the children, when they're seven, they consider themselves like a little Yankee. I have a kid, his name is Shlomi. But when he's seven, Yankee tells him where to go. So he, where's your play dates with? He play with the kids. The guys I like to hang out with are you, because of you play. Now, during 9 and 10, they start... By the way, it's the same thing. The first phase is 2s and 3s. What do you call them? Terrible? Why? Because that's the stage. No, but there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it is because that's the time that they start crawling and moving and getting out to step. You know, they start, get, they start developing a little more sense of themselves. How do you know you're you when you can say no to somebody else? So... If you don't know anything about it, you get offended, you start, oh, what am I doing wrong? My, my grandmother, people tell me this, I promise you. My son, my nine-year-old, he doesn't want to dive with me anymore. My grandfather told me this is going to happen because you didn't dive with me. Someone's going to, Hashem's going to punish me. What are you talking about? It's teenagers, he's an adolescent. What is the matter with you? So if you know the backstory, you just roll with it. So nine and ten, my shlimy for a, a short period of time, which is called tweens, <clears throat> says, oh, I'm Shlomi Horowitz now. So why should Shlomi Horowitz dive in the Yankee shul? Yankee likes not to, to have a lousy kiddish, go for it. But I like a nice kiddish. So he picked himself up and does this. Um, by the way, the kid was 13 years old. And, and I actually, the, I, I gave the, the father gave me permission. I said, can I please put your email address in the column so that people can check that I really didn't ask you. I didn't do it to show that I was smart. It's not smart. That's the age I deal with. And, and you know, if you study the research, you know that this is a time when children will act like this. And this refueling thing is so real um, that once you study it and you know it, you become much more comfortable with understanding that it's not about you. It's not personal. It's not something that Hashem's punishing you for. This is a normal stage. It's healthy. If kids don't start expressing individuality during adolescence, it's a sign. It's not a great sign. It doesn't. We hope that it's very little. But this is what they're supposed to do. If they're exactly like you, who needs them? Think about it. If they're carbon copies of you, what do they need? What purpose do they serve? They have to be themselves. We hope that it'll be a tiny little click. But once you predict it. 
you can start dealing with it and understanding it. So Friday night, by the way, just in our home, I, I really, you, you ask, I'm sorry, you ask about, about what the kids need from you. They want you around and they want you available to listen. To listen, not, not lecture too much. They want to know that you're in their corner. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work over the past two years with, with especially parents of LGBTQ kids and some LGBT folks themselves. Um, it's a very complicated situation and, and all of this. But one of the things that I keep hearing, and it, it pains me greatly when people say this, um, that it, it really answers your question in some way. Like the kids or the parents say, you know, Rabbi Horowitz, I know you can't solve my problem, but it's so comforting to be able to talk to someone who's not going to judge me. <coughs> and I think it's so sad because I think they should be able to do this with anyone. You know, and, and so very often we think when people talk to us, we need to solve their problems for them. Or they just, you, what do your teenagers want from you most? Your time, your attention, and, and your ear to know that they have the ability to talk to you and to be able to, they don't need you as a friend, yet they have enough friends. When you start, when parents start acting like the kids' friends, they get very bugged out. So you don't need to be friends of theirs, but you need to be able to, every child would love to have a parent that they can talk to without risking the, the things that we talked about here. Okay, folks, a couple more, go. Right. Correct. So the question is about... Where, where, where do you get guidance on, like, to what extent... Like, okay, that's a great question. Okay, so what do you do about, if I understand you, Lisa, if I understand your question correctly, children need to experiment, or sometimes, worded differently, they will learn best by making, experimenting and making a mistake. How do you help them through that? Is that what you're asking? Or, or should you discipline like, them? Almost like the it's not something I totally approve of, but I did it. I learned from it. So. Right. So, so, so one of the, one of the, right. So that, that's really an excellent question. So the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, as I mentioned earlier, we do learn more from our mistakes than anything else. And, and it's part of this healthy process of adolescence that they go through mistakes. They call it scaffolding. One of the, one of the terms, the clinical terms for this is called scaffolding. Like, yet, yet. People work on, on these tall buildings, right? So they have to get up and fix the, put the, install the glass so you don't want to get killed. So they put a little scaffolding around the building so the, the workers are protected. So the, the concept is that as your children will inevitably experiment and do stuff, you, you can serve as a scaffolding for them. So if, they discuss, if they're able, if they're comfortable enough discussing things with you, then they're able to access this information and you can sort of keep them safe during that process that if things get out of control, you're able to guide them. You know, you mentioned something. I actually asked my, our daughter permission to share this. I, I just want to give you an example of what it means in the practical world. Um, when our youngest was 15, she asked, I, again, I asked her permission. I would never say something without, without my kid's permission. Um, so our daughter asked my wife and I if she could go to a particular Purim party that was taking place in Muncie. This was Purim night. So a few days before Purim, she came and she said, Ma, ta, can I go to this party? Now, 
I knew from the kids what was going on at the party, and I was really not comfortable with this whole thing. Okay? Um, so we told our daughter, my wife and I just said, I'll talk to mom about it. And then we sat down with her together and we said, look, you can go. But two things. First of all, you take along a phone. And if you feel that you shouldn't be there, just text and what will come right away and pick you up. And the second thing is you need to have an adult who gets it there the entire time. So from her friends, th- th- this girl, th- the girl's parents, I-, I don't know what the heck they were thinking. The parents of my, our daughter's friend at this crazy wild party. I looked up, maybe, Rab, maybe Rabbi Rabdoiv, maybe you saw it inside. I checked up all the sources. Is there any minute to have strobe lights on Purim? Is it a camera or something? You know, whatever. I was at a crazy party and the, whatever. The kids were getting toasted and the guys were using substances there. So um, I said that I would go. But like when I, because of the work I do, it's like inviting the Malachim of us to a party. You know? <laughs> like the angel of death, you know, I walk in there, oh, Horowitz is here, he's calling, he's calling the cops. And I didn't want to do it to our daughter. So she said, no, Tati, Tati, no, you know that. So I told her these three parents, so the, my, our daughter was going with her entire class. Um, <clears throat> so this is, I'm saying, I'm telling you this story because this is what it looks like when you try to raise your children in this way. You take some gambles, you try to put some scaffold. I did the scaffolding thing. That's when I thought of it. That's why I thought of it when I told you. So I told her, you have three parents. I listed three parents, the three fathers in the class who get it. That means they're with it. They're hip. They know what's going on. They're not going to scare easily. And that parent has to stay there the entire time. And you call me when you need, when you feel, if you feel at any time you need to go. So she picked one of the three fathers. I called him up. You know, I said, look, please, I, I, I can't go because... I, I don't want to do it to my daughter, but uh, please keep an eye on things. Anyway, daughter goes to the party. I normally, you know, at that point, I would just get into sweats for the night and stuff. Like I stayed, you know, I made sure to stay awake and ready. I knew I was going to get a call eventually. Anyway, within, I don't remember the time, it seemed like 40 hours. It was probably half an hour. I get, it, I get a text from my daughter now with like 20 exclamation points. <laughs> And, and it's the hardest thing in the world, folks. You talk about what parents shouldn't say, don't say I told you so, and don't, like, you know, like the most unproductive thing you can possibly say. Of course, our parents told it to us, so we tell it to our kids, like, it makes them crazy when you take the phone away. So um, I pick up our daughter, and she was, she was shaking. She was literally shaking. What happened? She told, she told me in the car that she went, you know, a, a few of the kids got toasted, a few of the boys, and some of them started getting phys- physically encroaching on the girls' faces, and she had never experienced, thank God, any of this before she went bananas. That was the now, with a hundred exclamation points. Um, this guy, the father, stepped in and told the kid he's going to launch him to, to outer space if he not, doesn't knock it off. Um, now comes the hard part. What do I tell her? Nothing. I didn't say a word. Not one word. I came home, I kissed her, I said, sweetheart, good night, Shefala. And that was it. But I didn't go upstairs because I knew she would want to talk at some point in time. She came down a few hours later and she says, Tati, why did you let me go? (laughs) The exact conversation. She says, why did you let me go? So I said, sweetheart, what would you have learned if I would have told you no? 
you would have said that she's there's an eight year spread. We have four older children, and she was you know eight years younger than the other. She says, "Oh, I was born to a few alta, you know what? You know those geezers." <laughs> And, and, you know, when, uh, next year when they'll be in an old age home, I won't be able to do anything. You know? So I told her, I said, that, what, would you, so what would you have learned from this experience? Nothing. I said, look what you learned now, that you don't belong everywhere. And if you're going to a place that might be a little problematic, you need an exit strategy. And, and that friend, that's why, I thought, like I said, I taught her this, because he was my scaffolding. That friend, the, her, her students, uh, her classmate's father, was my scaffolding. My, my phone was a scaffolding. In other words, I let her do something that I really was not comfortable with because I wanted her to learn some life lessons. And I didn't want to be a total dope and just send her there and hope that it works out. So you put scaffolding around. That's, I think, the ideal way to, to you know, manage kids in these very complicated times is to try to have scaffolding around when you do this. Anyway, so, she, so I told her, I said, look, look what you learned in one time. And I also said, she forgot about it. It was three years early, when she was 12, she was 15 then. When she was 12, she had gone to a, to a party in Nancy. Uh, like, there was a lot bomber thing that the, the village ran. Um, and she texted me and said, Tati, you, you, would, you probably wouldn't want me here. And I went and picked her up and I said, you, you developed credit with me because you were responsible last time. She was really flattered that I remembered. So this is what it looks like in the real world. You, 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 when you have a relationship where you can talk, then you're able to do these things. Did I answer your question? Okay. Are we done? Yes. How do you become the parent who knows ahead of time? Is going to be a bad part just, just one second. Him and you're next. Go. Just thanking God that I'm in Atlanta, not Muncie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to go to the party, don't you? Come on. What's <laughs> this? What's this? What's this? Yes. Oh, I got it. Stop, stop, stop. I, I promise I'll get to you. I'm going to forget. This is a really good one. You mentioned Muncie. Um, parents, listen to me. What did you say? He said, he said Muncie. Listen. You said that guy that lived in Atlanta. Right. You didn't say, not Muncie? Oh. He said Muncie. Ah, I got you. So, listen to this. So, I always tell parents, one of the things that I tell parents is, learn Get antennas. Get in t you know, parents who get it have very strong antennas. You know, I know I dated myself with the antenna thing, you know, but it means to have radar for stuff that's wrong. Parents who get it, check liquor bottles if you have teenagers at home. You mark them on the back of the bottle to see the level. You taste it every once in a while to see that they're not putting apple juice in there. Uh, if you see kids, teenagers walking around with Poland Spring bottles, you, you might assume that they might not be just hydrating at the time. You know, if they're coming back from a party with a Poland Spring bottle, you know, get these antennas developed where you start, you know, where you get off the high horse and you start looking around and thinking like a teenager again. Anyway, so here's my antenna story. I was, at a, I was at a Hasidish wedding in Muncie, and I hear one kid from one end of the room yelling across the room to another kid he, in Yiddish. He says, Yassel, I'll meet you at Usher Anshel's house, translated to Hasidish, I'll meet you at 11.15. 
I promise you, I don't know why my antennas were tingling. I don't know why it triggered me. I just listened to this and I said, Ushiranshal, I don't know, maybe it was the way he said it, maybe, I'm not sure, but my, my brain was on fire. Ushiranshal, 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 what's he talking about? Ushiranshal. I said, oh my God, it's United Artists. They were, he was telling the guy, I'm going to meet you at a movie theater. There's a United Artists theater um, in, in Spring Valley, near, near there, and he was telling the kid, I'll meet you at a movie at 11.15. That's what he was saying. I'll meet you by Ushir Anshul, which is Russia Tavis for United Artists. So, so, uh, I, so he says, I'll treffen by Ushir Anshul, UA. Uh, so I slid fast, 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 think, think, think. So I thought of one of the bars that, that, that the kids hang out in, and I gave him Russia Tavis back for that. I said, Weistavos, I have a better idea. I'll meet you, whatever, by Avramoish's host, uh, by a quarter to 12. I, I told... That's what I answered. I answered him back. I'll meet you at... I, I listed the name of a place where the teenagers hang out. I responded to him that I'll meet you at... I think a quarter to 12 is better. Meaning I said there's a better movie there. And the kids, all of a sudden, they was like... All around the room, the teenagers... You're advised! He knows. You're advised! So, this is... I promise you... I can't make this up. So, this is... It happened like in a nanosecond. He says... You know, whatever it is. You know, I, I listed Russia Tavis of a place, you know, a quarter to twelve. And all of a sudden, he exploded. He knows, he knows, he knows. So I looked at the guys. I said, guys, did you hear the conversation? The adults. He says, yeah, who cares about Ushir Anshul? <laughs> I go, duh. You know, it's matter what you got. So I turned to the guys. I said, Zarg Dechnish. Nobody knows. It's just me. You're safe. <laughs> so what I'm saying, get your antennas working. Start having radar for us. Go. I'm sorry. You said Muncie. You reminded me. Go. You're talking a lot about uh, a lot of personal examples, a lot of personal questions. Please. What, I think you might be able to tell us what we want our outcomes to be. What do you want your outcomes to be with your children? About, about what? You're talking about all these different processes. What, what do you want? Why do you do it that way? I wanted, because I felt, I felt dealing as I do with teenagers, I wanted our children to grow up in an environment where they could come talk to us about anything so that we could guide them through, in a real way through adolescence and beyond. So, so that, that uh, you know, there are sub-goals there, but the big goal in this that I'm talking to you about tonight is about encouraging you to think about the mindset that would allow your children to seek your guidance. And, and there are real barriers there. And I just encourage you, that was, that was our goal as parents. Because, uh, look, I, it was more enhanced with me because I know what I know and I see what I see out there. But I think, I think like I said, I think, it's a, I think it's an extraordinarily valuable goal and it's not cheap. It's a lifestyle change to know what's going on, to be available, to be around. Um, and it involved me hanging out with the kids. I mentioned today in the talk, I, I, I took our children regularly, golfing, skiing, fishing, stuff. I really spent time with each of them. And Baruch Hashem, I'm doing it now with our grandkids because I want to have a real relationship with them. Two of, two of my granddaughters, two of our granddaughters, texted me personal things on Friday that they just wanted to discuss. 
two of our grand, my granddaughters this today before Shabbos. It was it was really beautiful. They're, you know they texted me not not anything crisis. I would come talk to their parents, but they were just you know they had some stuff. They just wanted to share parts of their life with me, which you know, which to me is Ganadin. You know, said this is what I want from them. I want them to be able to talk to me. Of course, I would never ever ever encroach on the on their parents. But, but uh, it, it, it wasn't like a problem. They just wanted to share some experiences of life. So that's a process. You know, um, there's a beautiful word from the, from the, uh, the Kotzke Rebbe that was, that was always very profound to me. The Rebbe says, mm-hmm. Where is God found? And the answer is, Wherever he is allowed to enter. That was the Kutzke Rebbe's line. He says, Where is God found? And I always feel that with children and with grandchildren, the relationship that they have with you is to the extent that you allow them in. And allowing them in means to care, to spend time. You'll care for the kids, but are you willing to do the hard stuff and the difficult, the, the, self, the sacrifice that you have? The, to, to be able to have this relationship. I went to my Rebbe Rav Pam in 1998 when my life started getting very busy. We used to have guests at the house and I said, Rebbe, I want to close my... It was 1996 actually when Rebbe, Rebbe passed away, whatever. I, I told him, I said, I, I don't want to have guests anymore because I'm getting very busy and I want to spend time with my kids and I don't want them to feel that they have to get online to talk to me. And I said, is that crazy? I know kids benefited and I tell them, you know, for coming over for Shabbos and stuff. Shabbos meals. Are, I just shut my... And he said, I said, Rebbe, that's what I want to do. And he said, go for it. He didn't say go for it. But, you know, he's, I, 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 he said, why do you feel the way you do? And I told him. So that was a big... It was a lifestyle change for us. We have not... My wife and I have not had a guest since. I'm talking over 20 years. We have never... Kids invite over anybody they want. But we shut our house down on Shabbos. That was a very tough thing for us to do. But, you know, that means that my whole social life like that just shut down. And it, what, it was just something that we did. It was a decision that I made. So, what? Yep. Okay, you have a question. Who had a, I, I told someone's next. Go, last one. You answered it with the Meister Anshel. I mean, what? With the Usher You said it like an Usher Anshel. Get into it. Get into it, man. Usher Anshel. What was the question? I'm curious. Right, right, right. Oh, so, right. You don't have what? The scaffolding thing or the antennas? So learn. Try to learn. You can, you know, it's true. Look, I appreciate the fact that, you know, 99 out of 100 people wouldn't have gotten the Usher Anshel thing, okay? But, so that's because I'm in this space and I've been doing this for so many years. And, and, but to, to a lesser extent, I'm not, to, that's an extreme example. But to a lesser extent, I think you can be, you could be cognizant of a lot of things that are going on. Listen more and, and study parenting, study stuff. Go online, there's great stuff online. Read up about the stuff, and then when it happens, you start, like I said earlier, you start anticipating it. Folks, I hope you found this thought provoking. I really wish you a Muslim Rafa. Thank you very much. Thank you so very much. Swimming, what?